0: guys have your bibles with you i want to invite you to open up to psalm 19 18 actually we'll finish up before we get to 19 as we take a look at um at psalm 18 i just want to remind us um, it's important we recognize what's been going on in in david's life he had just finished 10 years of really wandering in the wilderness, um, trying to figure out what it was God wanted him to do, even though God had uh, called him as king, but uh, for for 10 years, he lived in a cave, right? Running, hiding from, from Saul, um, he went through just tremendous, uh, tremendous trials uh, that came upon him. And in the midst of all of those things, and all of those uh, struggles that he went through, in Psalm 18, Psalm 18 begins with this concept. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song, on the day the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, and from the hand of Saul. So this is the royal psalm this is a psalm the psalm david sings when it's over all that stuff's over all all the the burden the struggle the strain the the things that he went through all those years living in caves and running from saul and saying i'm not going to try to force myself into a kingdom i'm going to wait for god to do it that's over now and this is the psalm that he declares as he declares that part over. We're going we're gonna to start in verse 20. We, we, I think we went a little bit past that before, but just to remember. As he comes to this time, he, he wants us to, to grasp this idea that the, that the Lord um, made David's trials large so that God could enlarge David. And we forget that sometimes. See, you may find yourself in the middle of your 10 years, maybe 20 years. You're living in a cave. You're going through struggles. You're going through hardship. You're going through hard time. All of that time, all of those struggles, all of those issues, God is working in you. God is making you the the man after God's own heart or the woman after God's own heart. God is preparing you for the journey along the way. And sometimes, just like David, sometimes all he could do was... We'll sing a psalm of lament as he cried out to God, why? But it's important in the middle of all of that to remember it came to pass. It did not come to stay. We're not staying in that place. No matter how long that trial is, we're not staying in that place. There will be a day where we will sing the royal psalm, where we'll declare, God, you got me out of that. And, and life is so much better. And, and, and now those promises that you've given and all those things that you've laid out before us, they're, they're being fulfilled right before my eyes. There will come a day when we will stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we'll declare to Him, to, to God Almighty, we'll say, man, the trial is over. Every one of us. We're going to stand in that place. We're going to celebrate just like David does. So he begins in verse twenty, he says, The Lord rewarded my or the, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the righteousness of my hands, he has compensated me. There's a this idea as we look at the the deliverance of God and how like I say, one day we'll all stand before God and we'll all experience the, the freedom in His presence that uh, maybe we don't ever have here on this earth. But when we do, it will be uh, not only a day of reckoning, but it will be a day where God makes everything right. See, if we look at the book of Revelation and we, and we read in the, in the final chapters of Revelation, the Lord declares, Jesus declares... See, I make all things new. That phrase sound familiar? Because it's one of the things they, they opted to use in the Passion of the Christ at the crucifixion. It's not said until Revelation. But as Jesus is heading to the cross and uh, Mary his mother is, is weeping and watching him, and one of the times he falls. He stands up and he looks at his mother and says, See, I make all things new. Still true. It's still true at that point when Jesus is headed to the cross. It's true when we see Jesus in our heavenly home. It's true right now in the midst of whatever trial you're in. He is doing a perfect work in you. And one of the things that made David so strong was to realize, you know what? God's going to make it all right. He's going to do what is right by me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He's not saying I'm so good so God did good things to me. He's saying the Lord's doing right things for me. No matter how they look, God's going to do right things for me. According to the, the cleanness of my hands, he's saying, I'm going to trust God in all this. God knows what he's doing, and he trusts him. For he says, I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. A lot of people want to quit. It's always too soon to give up. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to turn your back on the Lord and say, you know what, I'm done, forget it. You're, you're not going to do what I want like a spoiled child. Instead of recognizing God is good all the time and life is hard, anybody not know that yet? Just hang in there; it will come. But still, he says, "God is good." Look, I'm holding fast to His ways. I'm holding fast to God's plan, to God's purpose in my life. For all His judgments were before me, and I did not, uh, and I did not put away. His statutes from me. See, David was obedient to God's direction. He held fast. God said, I'm going to be king, and and but, but, but I'm in this cave, and I'm going through all these struggles, but I'm going to hold fast to the promise of God. I'm going to hold fast to what God's asked me to do. What God's called me to do. There, God said, you're going to be king one day, but there was a time God just wanted David to play his harp for Saul. Even though someday God may have you be king, can you be satisfied playing your harp for someone who hates you? Because David was. David said, hey, God's got, God has called me to do this. I'm going to play. Saul throw his spear. What David do? Duck. He didn't throw back. He didn't run away. He didn't go start something else. He just sat and said, Look, I'm going to hold fast to what God's called me to do. I'm going to walk according to His judgments. And I'm going to fulfill His purpose in my life. I'm going to be obedient to His direction. There was also a time where God told uh, David to go stay in a cave. Well, I'm supposed to be king. Yeah, but right now, I want you to go live in a cave. Are you okay with just being obedient to what God's asked you to do? Whatever it is to be obedient to where God's called you, to where God has directed. He says in verse 23, I was also blameless before Him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the righteousness of my hands in His sight. So as he follows God's direction... God responds to him according to his obedience. He just waits. Are you okay with just waiting? Because sometimes we've talked about it a number of times and we'll, we'll talk about it a lot more as we go through Psalms. We want to get to the end. Right? We want it to be over. We want it to all be done. But God's more Focused on accomplishing His perfect work in your life. uh, Making you the man or woman He wants you to be. uh, Leading you into His righteousness. Coming to the place where you're willing to obey Him. Even in the little things that don't seem to make any sense. But being willing to do that. See, God responds to David in those ways. He responds to what he's doing. And then the Lord declares... He declares in verse 25, With the merciful, he will show himself merciful. With a a blameless man, he will show himself blameless. With the pure, he will show himself pure. With the devious, he will show himself uh, uh, shrewd. And he will keep the humble man, but will bring... God does this incredible and amazing work in people's lives that sometimes we can't even grasp. He will be merciful and respond in mercy. He will be, he will be blameless to whom is blameless. God is, is responding in ways to people according to how they have related to the Lord. In the same way that he relates to the Lord, it's kind of amazing to watch the, the, the work that God did, that God did in, in David, that he continues to do, that he desires to work in these incredible ways. So he, he wants us to understand, look, um, that He will save the humble people, but will bring down the haughty looks. The, the reaction that they have toward others. Now it says God equips when he submits. And we see in verse 28. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. That God will give me direction. He gives me the light. Which way to walk? He's going to enlighten me in the direction that he would have me be. Then he goes on in verse 29. Not only that, but he will help me overcome for by you, I will, uh, for by you, I can run against the troop. And by my God, I will leap above a wall. God can help you overcome whatever's in front of you. Do you ever face those crazy things? Can you overcome those, those wild imaginations that, uh, hey, I've, I've, I've got to leap over tall buildings to single bound Superman, you know? It's interesting because uh, um, there's some folks getting ready to get married and they asked Pastor Gerald if he'd be willing to do a, a special wedding wearing Superman. I thought, man, at least that's something I haven't done yet. I, I haven't not had to dress up like Superman. But the, the Lord is declaring that he's able to leap over and overcome the struggles that he sees in and before him, that God gives him what he needs and, and and equips him so that he can overcome. Verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So what's he laying out? That he, there's three things. Look, that his way is perfect. His way is perfect. You always feel that way? Now, God, what are you doing? I don't really understand why you're doing this. Why you've done this thing? Sometimes I wonder the same way. I look at uh, examples of people. I see them going through struggles. And I think, Lord, why would you do this to them? Why would you allow this to them? But the word declares, as for God, his way is perfect. It's perfect. It doesn't always, it's, it's not always what we would choose. But it's always perfect. And we can hold fast to that perfection that he has for us and he says the word of the lord is proven the word of the lord is proven it's it's something that we can cling to and say god's word is absolutely going to be right it may not be tomorrow but it's absolutely going to be right so can we cling to to where god's right his plan is perfect his word is proven, we can cling to it, and ultimately, He's our protection. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. Now, David, as he's, as he's crying out now, sitting in the, in, in the palace and looking at everything coming around, he's like, man, if God was always there. He, he was there when I needed Him. He was who I needed Him to be, accomplishing what I needed of Him, taking care of me at the times when I, when I needed Him most, that He was perfect. And his word was proven. So when God said, David, you're going to be king, he was going to be king. When God says to you, I'll never leave you or forsake you, does he mean he's not going to be with you when you need you? When God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that he has specifically called you, does he mean that that he has a plan and a purpose for your life? For I know the things that God has for me. Things of good, not of evil, to give us a future and a hope, right? That God has those things specifically for us. He wants us to, to be able to cling and to hold on to those things. His plan's perfect, His word proven, and He is my protection. He's my shield. I gotta trust Him. Even if I don't understand, I gotta trust Him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock? Except our God. Who is God except the Lord? Who is Yahweh except Elohim? The, the the scripture that he uses, the concept that he uses in Hebrew, is that he is the, the all-powerful spiritual being that anyone would ever look to. And then he uses his proper name. The Yahweh, Yahweh. He is, he is everything that I need. That he is uh god and who is the rock except our lord who is the rock man the scripture declares over and over again for us who is the rock who is the rock except yahweh in in first corinthians it tells us in chapter 10 that the rock is jesus christ so who's the rock yahweh who's jesus yahweh it's the same it's, it's the same concept that he's laying out for us. That this is the one for whom we can trust, that we cling to. And then he goes on. What is it that God gives me? In verse 32, it is God who arms me with strength. <clears throat> God gives me the strength I need and makes my way perfect. Doesn't say easy. Doesn't say simple. Doesn't say without struggle. Doesn't say without ability to, to understand what's going on. He makes my way simple. Then he goes on in uh, in verse 33. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He sets me on high places. So he he not only is, is God giving me strength, he makes my way perfect, which shows his wisdom and direction. But then he talks about stability. My feet are like the feet of a deer. Not very often do we watch a deer trip. You watch me walk around, I'll trip. When I was hunting this this past season, when we were um, spending time hunting, I could fall over everything. Every time I turn around, slip, trip, I'm down on the ground, digging myself back up. But I, but them deer, or or uh, elk that we were chasing, they didn't slip, they didn't fall, they didn't stumble. They had stability. What's he? De- what He's telling us is not about the deer or the elk. What He's telling us is God gives stability. The God gives us the ability to stand with Him. And He sets me on my high places. So not only does He give me stability, He gives me security. He puts me in a high place, that place where I'm safe. I'm safe with Him, the One who cares for me and the One who takes care of me. In verse 34, He teaches my hands to make war. So he gives me the ability to do things I wouldn't be able to do. In fact, so much so, he gives me the ability to do the impossible. Look, he says, he teaches my hands to make war <clears throat> so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Not uh, too many people have a bow of bronze. Most of us have a bow that can bend. But the Lord says, hey, I'll make you, bow, I'll, I'll make you bend a bow. A bow of bronze. The emphasis that he's given to us is to understand that God gives us the ability to do above and beyond what we are capable of doing. He's able, he is able to meet us in that place and to do that perfect thing. In verse 35, he says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. You've given me the shield of your salvation. His protection His protection, your right hand has held me up, so he makes me able. He protects me, he makes me able. Your gentleness has made me great. That compassion that we get from the Lord. The compassion that he provides us. And then in verse 36, he says, you enlarge my path under me, so my feet did not slip. See, God gives us the knowledge of what to do, where to go, where to turn, what's the plan, what's the purpose, where's our direction. God provides all of those things for us. So David, just proclaiming God's ability to be everything he needs him to be through all the struggles that he went through, and now into the celebration as he fulfills the promise that God had given him. Verse 37 and I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them that they, uh, so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. He's talking about having a complete victory from his enemies. And that complete victory from his enemies comes from the Lord. For you have subdued me. Uh, under me those who rose up against me. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. God had perfectly worked in and through his life and is doing amazing things for him. Amazing things that God wants to accomplish in and for and by. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. Utter and complete and total victory over his enemies. And keep in mind, he's not talking about people, uh, necessarily. He's not talking about the people that he was able to put down. He's talking about all the things that would get him down, that would, that he would struggle in, all the things that would make him afraid. It would, it would make him scared. he just trusts in the Lord. And God's given him that victory. Utter, complete victory over all of those things. It, it was, I think for David, it was so shocking for him to find himself in that place. To find himself in a place where God had met those needs and performed those things so radically that at the time when he was hiding in the caves, he's thinking, man, it's never going to change. You ever felt like that? It's not ever going to change. Or maybe you feel like it's never going to stop changing. I don't know. But either way, God's the one who's going to carry us through. God's the one who's going to bring us through the complete victory. And then in verse 43, look, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. <clears throat> A people I have not known shall serve me. And soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The, the foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and become frightened because, uh, and become frightened from their hideouts. So he, again, building on the concept. Then as he moves on in verse 46, he, he proclaims, The Lord lives praise for what god has done praising the lord for the accomplishment that he has given blessed be my rock again the concept that we talked about in first corinthians let the god of my salvation be exalted it is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. So he talks about the fact that God saved him. Let God be my salvation. He talked about the fact that God avenges him, that it was God who avenged him on all the things that had ever gone wrong and subdues the people under him. He subdues his enemies, those who had risen up against him. And he delivers me uh, from my enemies. So then he speaks of that deliverance, that God brings deliverance. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. You deliver me. So again, he, he he just praises God for the deliverance. For all that time that he thought, I'm never going to get out of this. And now he, he's praising God for the fact that he is out of it. And he's recognizing God's favor in it all. How God was with him, how God moved in his behalf, and how God accomplished the things that he did for him. So therefore, in in response to all that God has done, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. He cries out his thanksgiving. He's thankful. He's praising the Lord, the praising him for his deliverance and for his mercy, and then ultimately he says, and there's nothing really I did to deserve it. God just gave it to me. God just did what he promised that he would do. And we want to try to remember that ourselves. God's going to fulfill his purpose in our life the things he's declared. He's going to give us those things that we desire. As we continue now through the Psalms, we we turn from this Psalm of uh, the Royal Psalm of of declaring all that God had done for him and to him to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is is, uh, a Psalm of David to the chief musician. And there's three things he's going to declare in Psalm 19. It's, It's pretty cool. And that is God's revelation of himself in creation, God's revelation of himself in scripture, and God's revelation of himself in uh, our lives, in, in the human heart. So he begins first with God's revelation in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor knowledge where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race." Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He begins first by looking at creation. And when we look at creation, we want to understand that the Jews were not to worship creation. God didn't call them to worship creation, nor did He call them to worship or practice astrology. But He did say that there, in the in the heavens, there is the, the, the idea that they can see and understand certain things about the Lord. Certain things that they can receive that God has declared to them. For example, creation and the nature of creation implied uh, that He was wise enough to plan it, uh, powerful enough to execute His plan, and maintain what he had made so when they look at the universe and we start to talk about how things work together how different animals behave or or how the universe works or the stars or the sun and and the moon and all the things and and how there is how they just fit together perfectly just so each one declares to us not only that that things have been created, but that there is a creator, and that that creator was smart enough to put it all together and has a purpose behind all that he has put together. And, and when we went through Romans, remember we went through Romans chapter 1, it laid out for us that same idea, that creation declares there is God. And in creation, God is, is revealing some about himself. And we either respond to what he's revealing, or we ignore what he's revealing, but he doesn't stop it's there to whoever would look, whoever would wander, whoever goes out at night and looks at the stars, whoever takes a walk out in the in the the wilderness and and just sees the beauty that God has put together, it's all declaring who he is. And what he has done. In verse 5, he says it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The idea of the bridegroom, it speaks of not only the glory of God, but his love and his anticipation. That he's got a purpose and a plan for it all to come together. And then he says, not only like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, but he rejoices like a strong man to run his race. The idea that he has a power, and not only does he have power, but he has determination, a plan. He's going to finish what he has begun. He's got the power to do it and the willingness to see it through. Just like the guy getting ready to run a race. He doesn't run a race to, to, to come in second. He runs the race to win. He has the power to do it, the ability to do it. We can recognize it. And we can see it. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So that lays out for us the idea. Creator God, the worlds around us. The first part of Psalm 19. Then he talks about the word before us. Beginning in in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So... First he begins talking about Creator God. Now he's talking about the Instructor God. Not only has God revealed himself in creation, but now he's also gone and revealed himself in the Word. He's going to use six different names for the Word. He's going to use six different attributes that we can see in the Word. And then he's going to look at six different ministries from the Word. Look at them all. He calls the Word the Law. The testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear, and the judgments. All describing the Word of God, but each one making specific points. For example, the the law of the Lord. This is uh, the, the Hebrew word Torah. It means the instruction, direction, or teaching. When he talks about the testimony of the Lord, that's a phrase that is often used in the Ten Commandments pointing toward the Ten Commandments. When he talks about the statutes of the Lord, uh, these are the, the God's detailed instructions concerning the practical matters of everyday life. For the Old Testament Jew, the statutes related uh, to what they ate, what they how they dressed, uh, how they kept clean, where, whether or not they practiced um, sacrifice, all of those things would have been continued... Or laid out for him in the statutes of the Lord. Talks about the commandments of the Lord. Uh, the word means that which is appointed. Because God loves us. He told us what to do and warns us about what not to do. And those are the commandments of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that concept where, whereby we would have um, reverence and respect for God. And so we're able to receive the things that he's saying because we have a right attitude toward him. And finally, the judgments of the Lord, they can be translated, the the ordinances or even the verdicts, uh, refers to the decisions of a judge, the choices that God has made. So as he looks at the six things, the word before us, or how God has instructed us, those who have seen him in creation now can learn more about him in his word. As they delve into the word, then the scripture declares for us certain attributes. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. <clears throat> the statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So as he, he describes the attributes, what occurs in the life of those who believe, who allow the Word of God to have its perfect work in our life. If we don't spend any time in the Word, if we don't pour the Word of God in, then, then we are not going to understand the things that God is trying to reveal. We're, we're not sensitive to His response. And if we're not sensitive to His response, we don't really hear Him. It doesn't make any sense to us. We're not responding to what God's Spirit is leading us to what God's spirit is leading us to, what God is calling us to. We want to respond to that. So, what are the the ministries? What comes from it? Not only is the law of the Lord perfect, it converts the soul. Changes us from the inside out. Not only is the testimony of the Lord sure, but it makes wise the simple. So we don't have to have some special training. If we allow God's word have its way in us, it makes wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, bringing joy into our life. We pour God's Word in, and these are the results. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Have understanding in regard to our direction, where we're going. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That relationship that we have with God when it is a right relationship, proper relationship with the Lord. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. What do we receive there? More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. So not only do we see these things in the Word of God, the instruction that God gives us, but we want to recognize it's the whole Word, all the Word, nothing but the Word. It does a a work in our lives and it provides um, a ministry through our lives as we allow the Word of God to find a fruitful place in our life to grow. One of the great ways to do that is just spending time in it. Spending time pouring it in. When uh, when Elijah was was faced with a, a the, the poison, you see the the school of, of the prophets had got together and they made a stew and the stew wasn't very good, and so they went to go eat it and, and they declare, "Oh, there's there's death in the stew." Now whether it was killing people or it just tasted bad, we don't know. But what we do know is then the prophet began to put the 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 bread in. He just put more and more of the bread in the stew. And eventually they were able to eat the stew. He didn't try to pull the poison out. He just put the bread in. And it's a symbol of us putting the Word of God in. We can concentrate on all the things we want to stop doing, all the things we want to change in our life. But if we recognize, if we just pour God's Word in, pour God's Word in, pour God's Word in, it's not going to come back void. It's going to, it's going to accomplish the things that God sent it to accomplish. We just got to pour it in. We just got to make it a part. Of what God wants to do. In and through us. We want to we allow it to work. It's perfect work. And the last part of Psalm 19. Is uh, the witness in us. This is the redeeming God. So we looked at, at the creating God. We looked at the instructing God. And now we see the redeeming God. Who can understand his errors. Cleanse me. From secret faults. Now, he's not talking about God's errors. He's talking about a person's. My own. Who can understand my errors, the the things I've messed up, the directions I went in the wrong way? Who's able to cleanse me from the inside out? Well, it's God who's able to do those things. Because God wants to redeem us, God wants to do that perfect work in and through us. So he asked the Lord in verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. So he says, keep your servant from presumptuous sin. Keep me on the straight and narrow. Keep me walking where I need to walk. So that I'm not blameless. Or, or so that I am blameless. So that so that other people recognize that my life with you is honest. is real not make believe and I will be innocent of great transgression that innocence comes from the redemption of God in fact he's going to declare it to us in verse 14 let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer so he calls let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight. The attitude that expresses through me. May it be what you want it to be. Not only, Lord, am I going to see you in creation, but I can also be instructed through your word, and I'm redeemed by you. You help me to walk the walk that you're calling me to walk, to be the man or woman you're asking me to be, to fulfill that perfect purpose in and through us. In Psalm 20... As we go on, Psalm 20 becomes a prayer. <clears throat> this is the last psalm we'll probably look at tonight. It's a prayer before the battle. This is, this is the prayer that they would pray. In fact, you want to get kind of an idea about it. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And we can see, uh, we can see how it is God wanted the, the children of Israel to respond in times of battle. Deuteronomy 20 verses 1 through 4 it says when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you do not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt and so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle when the priest shall approach and speak uh to the people and he shall say to them hear O Israel today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. He declares he wants the people in Deuteronomy to call out to come before him in prayer. The prayer before the battle, the song that they would sing, the times when they would come before the Lord. That's Psalm 20 says first the beginning the people praying for their king may the lord answer you in the day of trouble may the name of the god of jacob defend you may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of zion may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice Selah. so the people as they they pray you're going to see the people pray and then we're going to see the king respond and as the People pray as they call out. They're asking that that the Lord answer the king. That, that, that God respond to what he's doing. That he sends him help. And then the, the king's going to respond. The Lord does hear. And the Lord does send. He says in verse 4, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. And we will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, We will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So they call out. The Lord's going to be our need as they they sit here just prior to the battle. It's a great place, Psalm 20, to come to when we're facing hardship and difficulty, when we go through battles. Because we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's something behind the battles you and I fight. So then the king prays, beginning in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and with the saving strength of his right hand. Man, God's going to respond. God's going to answer. God's going to be everything I need him to be. So the people pray that God would be there for the king. The king responds, God is going to hear. And then in verse 7 he says, Some trust in chariots. And some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. See, we all get to make a choice of where our trust is going to be. We can trust in the in the horses, and we can trust in the army, and we can trust in our strength, and we can trust in the things we have. But the only thing worthy of our trust is the Lord responding to him responding to his work and what he's accomplishing in our lives we want to respond so we make the choice am i going to trust in the money am i going to trust in my job am i going to trust in my wisdom am i going to trust in horses or chariots or am i going to trust in the lord is my faith going to be with him for they have bowed down and fallen but we have risen and stand They, the enemies, the enemies of the Lord, they they don't have the strength. They won't have the ultimate victory, though they may have a victory for the moment. In the end, victory goes to the Lord. We have risen, and we stand. And then in verse 9, he says, Hosanna, save, Lord. Hosanna, Yahweh, save, Lord save me may the king answer us when we call and he's not talking about king david may the king answer when we call he's talking to the lord god be there for the victory be there to help us so verse chapter 20 of psalms is talking about the prayer that they would make prior to the battle and psalm 21 is the victory when the battle is won uh, we'll look at that one next time but psalm 20 is a prayer before the battle. So again, as we look, we see Psalm 18 declaring for us that David's battle is over and now he's received the reward that God had promised him. Psalm 19, we see that God reveals Himself in creation and in His Word and in our hearts, in our lives. And in Psalm 20, He says, here's the prayer of encouragement to overcome the battles that we fight in life. All the while we work our way through the Psalms, all the while He's going to declare His plan to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. That God will give the victory, but we have need, like David, of endurance.